He is a three-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier, a former Bass Nation National Champion, Bassmaster Elite Series Pro from Wisconsin. Pat Schlopper joins me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. I hope you're all having a great week, and hopefully this show makes it a little better. Um, I had a fun week last week, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame in Springfield, Missouri, which uh, is always an incredible event. Um, <clears throat> I always leave there inspired and excited about our industry. Um it's something everybody should be at. Um, I had someone in the industry say to me, I didn't get invited. No, nobody gets invited. Well, three people got invited. Um, the inductees, and congratulations to them, Glenn Andrews, Bruce Holt, and Mike Iaconelli. Outside of that, I mean, it is just an industry event that you should support. I mean, and there is something... So rewarding and giving to spend with people that have built the sport to what it is. Um, it's it's just and it it helps you realize that we weren't always just standing around arguing about forward facing sonar. I mean, there's so much that has gone on, and and the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. I get to MC that event every year. And every single year, it gets bigger and better. I mean, they raised close to a quarter million dollars there. And um, some big announcements were made there. Johnny Morris, who is quite simply the greatest conservationist of our lifetime. The amount of money and funds and things that he puts into the outdoors. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible. And, and, and I get it. People will be like, well, he makes a lot of money from the." Sure, he does. But there's a lot of people who make a lot of money from the outdoors that don't do a tenth of the stuff that they do. And one of the coolest things that they announced this week is obviously the physical home for the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame is in the Wonders of Wildlife Museum. Well, the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame continues to grow. They continue to want to put more stuff as part of their exhibit, basically, as their hall. Interactive stuff they have big plans for. And with good reason, because where they're located in the hall, you kind of go down a hall or located in the Wonders of Wildlife. You kind of go down a hall through the aquarium and it's kind of a dead end. So you have to choose to go in there. Well, they are rerouting, giving the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame more space and rerouting so that everybody that goes to the aquarium, which is millions a year, walks right through the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame and, and looks at the history of our sport and and uses interactive displays and and I, I don't I think it was an announcement that everyone's like that's cool but I think it's one of those things that when it happens and people start seeing just how much more traffic and start seeing just how much more of an experience it is I think it'll be one of those things that people will be like that was an announcement that probably didn't get that crazily excited about it but when you really think about it it's huge so thank you the wonders of wildlife to johnny morris to everybody that makes that event what it is to the entire board which is all a voluntary board it is a giant board and it is like 
the who's who of the industry is is part of that board from every company it seems like uh, if they're not part of the board now they they recently were i mean because obviously their terms transition in and out so congrats to all of them on having a great event congrats to all the inductees um and it was a fun it was a fun week it was uh, so many of ike's folks came down there and and i kind of joked with them a little bit because they were a little little subdued you know we're talking about a group of people that I mean, they scared anglers when that weigh-in happened on the Delaware River. That's how crazy fans and rampant they were. They were literally cheering for everybody. And so they were a little more subdued. And I think it was just simply because they felt the moment. I mean, they felt what it was. I mean, their guy, Mike Iaconelli, made it into the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. And it was a, a amazing, you know, group and an amazing uh, induction year. Um, unfortunately, Bruce Holt passed a few years ago. His brother was there to represent him. His family was there, and they represented him well. And um, I think Bruce would have been really proud. Um, Glenn Andrews, who I'd never had the pleasure of meeting, um, and I did get to meet, uh, 92 years old. But here's the weird thing. We've all seen people for lack of a better term, fangirl over Bill Dance. Well, Bill Dance, who do you think he fangirls over? This, Glenn Andrews is responsible for, in some level of it, the Texas rig. I mean, the the amount of pros that said, man, Glenn Andrews is the reason that I'm where I am whether it be Bill Dance, whether it be Jimmy Houston, whether it be Roland Martin, all of them. Like, I mean, he was an inspiration. Jeremy Kinnis talked about him being an inspiration um, in the past. So um, kudos to all the inductees. And I have one special story I want to tell you about. Cool thing about that event is there is everybody. I mean, there is Glenn Andrews, 92 years old. I mean, Bill Dance was celebrating his 83rd birthday when we were there. Um, so many senior members of the sport and and i mean senior as far as like senior in position not in years um mind you they are and then you got a bunch of college kids i mean we had a lot of different college kids supporting it um the missouri guys were were repping strong i think it's missouri state um they were repping strong they do a lot of work with uh, john mazurkowitz the bass fishing hall of fame president so they were there. It was awesome to see them. But a cool moment that almost nobody saw, which, if you ask me, is what made it a cool moment. So this is late into the evening. So you have, you know, your induction ceremony starts at like 5 o'clock, and then you have a big dinner and everything, and then there's the speeches and everything. And then after that, there's an after party at the hotel. So we're all kind of at the after party, and this is – basically after the after party i mean all the responsible people had gone to bed it was kind of like me ike brian the carpenter and a handful of other people that were sitting there and the missouri college guys were hanging out and um this is just one of the reasons you know like a lot of people talk about ike in different ways you know they've seen him pop off they've seen him you know lose it he's seen him go ike in many different situations 
but I've always said one of the amazing things about Iconelli is how he treats fans, especially young fans. Well, Mazurk wants to introduce us to these guys. I had already met him earlier in the night, I believe. Um, but he wanted to introduce Ike and everything to these guys from Missouri State. So they, Ike says, well, well, tell them to come on over here. So they come over, and like I said, it's late in the evening. And uh, one of the coolest things about becoming a member of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame or getting inducted into the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame is you get this blue blazer, you know, kind of like the gold jacket in the NFL or the green jacket in the Masters where you get a blue blazer, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame crest on it and everything, and you get it that night as part of the induction. So Ike has his, and it's kind of leaning over a chair. Well, these guys sit down, and, and dude, I mean, that is a prized possession. I mean, there's so few people that own one of these blues, blue jackets. Well, so these kids sit down, and we're talking to them, and out of nowhere, Ike says, uh, how tall are you? I forget what the guy answered or whatever. He said, yeah, you're about my size. He says, you want to try that jacket on? So I'm sitting there, and you see this kid from Missouri State, a bass angler, and he is, like, just beaming. Because, I mean, he's wearing a Bass Fishing Hall of Fame jacket that Mike Iaconelli just was given that night. And, I mean, I'm you're going to search long and far before you see a picture of somebody else that gives their Hall of Fame jacket to a kid I mean, he didn't give it to him. He just lent it to him to wear for a little while. But but kudos to Iconelli and the kind of inspiration and excitement that that will inspire in those kids is amazing. Um, and it wasn't just like he said, hey, let's have a jacket and we'll take a picture. I mean, they spent probably 30, 40 minutes sitting at the table and Ike gave him a lot of advice on on life and making it in the sport. And it was just a very, very cool moment that hardly anybody saw that people need to know about. And that's why I'm talking about it. That's the Hall of Fame Mike Iaconelli that I love. I mean, I've watched that dude stand and answer questions, take pictures, sign autographs. When everybody else is gone, Iaconelli is an incredible giver to the fans. And and the experience he gave those, those kids that night was very, very cool. So uh, kudos to Ike, kudos to all the inductees. Uh, kudos to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame and uh, kudos to those kids um, for caring enough about the sport and supporting it enough that they got to be part of that. And I think it was a pretty cool thing to see. Um, all in all, a great night. Um, can't wait for the next one uh, next year. We'll have a new batch of inductees. And uh, if you are in Springfield, Missouri, make sure you go to Wonders of Wildlife. Support the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. If you supported the auctions and all that stuff, thank you. Because it is worthwhile and it is awesome. If you uh, don't respect the past, you don't have a future, if you ask me. So it is a, a truly incredible evening and something that I have the honor of being part of. And um, I hope to see many of you there in the future. So, yeah. So, I had a big week doing that. Uh, lots of cool stuff went on down there. A um, lot of money raised, as I said. Um, and also, we had our college bracket tournament go down. And that was won by Easton Fothergill. Fothergill, I believe it's pronounced. I don't know. We'll have Jake on next week. Um, he's coming on next week. He's going to talk about... 
college and um, i believe there's another open next week we'll be we'll do a big wrap-up show with jake here soon um but today's guest is a great one uh we got great feedback about this dude last time he was on and and i think we will again this week because he is just straight up and honest um actually puts me in some weird awkward places in this conversation but it is the awkwardly honest fishing podcast and um i was honest and i was awkward and um without further ado let's go to wisconsin and hook up with pat schlopper pat schlopper you uh your your wall adorned with so many beautiful trophies makes my bobblehead collection seem bad yeah, I've got quite a few over the years. You know, these these are mostly, you know, local ones and some bigger ones. But, um, you know, I've got a nation championship trophy and a northern regional trophy. And so I've got some good ones. But a lot of the a lot of the ones on the wall behind me mean a lot to me, you know, fishing with my dad or some of my friends and kind of st- in the circuits that got me started. So um, I'm blessed to have a lot of local wins and big bass trophies and yeah, cool stuff. It's fun to look at the wall and think about each tournament and kind of how it went down for the last, you know, 25 years or whatever it's been. Yeah. It, you know, the cool thing about plaques and trophies to me, it, it kind of gives people a visual like outside of it's not a brag or anything, you know what I mean? But when you see the amount of hardware that all of you guys, like literally whether they're displayed on the wall, whether they're in boxes, you guys all collect an incredible amount of hardware on your way to the elite series. You know, it, it's, it's not an easy road. And and last time you were on, we talked about that and some of the risks that you've taken, but what have you been up to since the elite series ended your off season? I I don't have what I would call an off season. I mean, I I fish fished quite a few local events. Um, I fished a pretty good sized one, you know, in Manaqua, which is a couple hours north of here. A few weeks ago, I just got done with a two day championship on Sunday. And I've got another one this coming Sunday, um, and then I'm fishing that the Redfish Cup, which is I'm really looking forward to in South Carolina. And then just doing stuff around the house. I'm trying to redo my garage. Um, I've got a six-month-old at home that I'm taking care of, and um, he's a black lab, so he's a handful. And he's growing up fast, and he's hard to tame. So um, a lot, just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. Good stuff, though. A lot of fishing. Yeah. Are you a hunter? Are you? I mean, you have to be, I'm sure, right? I love bow hunting, but I haven't got to do it for the last three years. And I buy a new bow every year. This year, I actually set it up. I have not shot it yet. So I'm probably going to end up selling this one too without being shot. Um, I just, I can't get myself to not, like I have to keep working on fishing. I have to get better. If I want to stay in the elites, I have to get better. So I feel guilty anytime I go sit in a tree and I think about I could be on the water, you know, learning a new technique or just, you know, if you're out on the water all the time, even if you don't realize it, like you're learning things and you're getting better and how to adjust and all that. So I have a hard time at this point in 
I mean, I don't know if what I'm doing is a career. I don't even like calling it a career. I don't know what it is, but you know, I guess my dream, but it's not like, I don't know what, what's going to happen to me. So I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to call it a career, but my life on the elite series, I want to work as hard as I possibly can. So if for some reason I'm not there in a few years or whatever, it's not because I didn't work as hard as I possibly could. So um, that's why I haven't, I haven't bull hunted. I mean, I, I do rifle hunt a little bit more to just to get some venison in the freezer. And now my new pup, um, I want to train him because I want to do some hunting with him. So uh, I, I do love hunting, but I just, I got to sacrifice it for a few years. Well, if I look at you by the numbers and, and obviously that's just one way to look at it, but I mean, I actually did a tiny bit of research. I don't do much research before these things, but I just look because I wanted to check to see if what I felt was happening is happening. And it does look like it, you know, because in 2021, you were 55th for Angler of the Year, 2022, 36th, and this year, 19th for Angler of the Year. So on a pie chart, if you were making a presentation somewhere, it looks like things are skewing in the right direction. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I, I think stuff's falling into place and I'm getting more comfortable and just learning learning how to fish an elite series event in preparing for three or four days and and just how to make better decisions. And, and I pre-practice, which a lot of people don't, but just kind of learning the groove that I need to stay in to prepare my, or at least feel like I have the best chance to do well. Um, so yeah, I do feel like it's trending in the right direction, but I also realize how fast it can go the other direction. I mean, it's, there's some people this year that really struggled that usually don't. So if they can have a bad year, I certainly can have a bad year. So, and, and honestly, like, yeah, that I have trended up and in, in 19th and AOY, I mean, I'd take that, you know, that's, that's good. You know, if you make the classic every year and you're in the top 20, you could probably stick around for a while but when you look at the sheet of where i'm at on like the cut list it's pretty shocking how far down i am just because of how you know the magic formula they have worked up so i'm definitely not i don't think mathematically i could get cut next year if i had a bad year but if i had another one and then it's it'd be it'd be scary so that's why i'm going to try as hard as i can to just Keep doing what I'm doing, stay focused, work hard, and hopefully I don't have to worry about that. How different are you as an angler today? You know, as just completed your third season, right? Your third season on the Elites this past year was, right? Yeah. How, how different are you compared to the angler that showed up on the Elite Series three years ago? And, and with a great resume, I mean, you came into the Elite Series with a head full of steam, really. I mean, you were the reigning Bass Nation national champion, always make a point because everybody knows how tough it is to make it through the opens, but not only did you make it through Bass Nation, but you made it through the opens that year. You double qualified, but how different are you today versus then? Well, I think kind of going back to what I said about learning how to fish on the elite series, like I fished tournament, I'm 40 now. So I'm a lot older than, you know, a lot of the rookies coming in. So I had a lot of tournament experience, but I didn't have a lot of three and four day tournament experience and with limited practice. 
Yeah. You know, when you have three days of practice, which really since, you know, magically they took the off day away this year, which was, you know, I didn't care for, but um, so really you have two and a half days of practice to go out on these bodies of water. I couldn't practice how I used to for, you know, the opens I would practice like five days. And then, um, you know, a lot of my local events are on smaller lakes. So if I put two or three days in, you know, I could idle the whole lake in, in, you just can't, you can't do that on the elites. And that's what I tried to do the first, the first year for sure. I just tried to be real methodical and break down everything. And now I'm just, I feel like I'm a lot more efficient at practice and I can roll into the tournament with small clues and hopefully they develop into what I think is happening. So I feel like I've gotten better definitely than what I was my rookie year at the process of that week of the elite series tournament, because it's, well, you know, you're there. I mean, you're not fishing, but you're, you're there the whole time and it's freaking chaos. Like there's no downtime. I mean, it's like, and then when we have back to backs with no travel days in between and like this year, we drove eight hours after the first tournament to the second tournament. It's like, you got to have your head on straight to get through that stuff. It's easy to spin out when you're packing two weeks of intense pressure and just fishing and trying to sleep and eat right and just do everything to, to prepare for success. So um, I'm more comfortable with that process now for sure. I think what you described as like getting maximum information with minimal clues basically is something that nobody talks about but it is literally what happens on the elites like the amount of anglers that i talked to before tournaments and stuff like that and, and you know it's easy to classify people as like they're sandbagging they don't want to tell you but i really think that day one of a lot of tournaments there's a lot of you guys that you know where maybe you're going to start but but it's a lot less like a good a top 10 finish doesn't mean that you hammered him in practice you may have only caught two fish in that area but you expand on it is that what you're experiencing a lot of 100 percent, 100 percent. where you just you know you may be like when i do well in tournaments in, in elite series terms well really yeah elite series terms because around here locally like you know a tournament i could fish any part of the lake i want because it takes me five minutes to run across the lake but yeah. when I usually do well in an elite series tournament, like I find an area of the lake and, you know, hopefully I find that by the second day of practice. And then I kind of break down that part of the lake and try to figure out what's going on there. Now, this is a big section. It's not like it's a little bay. And then, you know, maybe the first day of practice, I caught them out on a point. But then all of a sudden, by the third day of practice, while well, the water's five degrees warmer, and now I got to, I got to, okay, they're probably going to the back of this pocket. So, and I marked six brush piles on that bank. So they're probably going to be on that. Like, there's a lot of that that happens. And I learned that early on. Like, a lot of the guys, you know, the guys that do well consistently and just talking to some, you know, I've got a lot of the guys that we fish against are really good guys and they'll, they, they help you out. I mean, they want to beat you, but they'll, <laughs> you know, they want to see you do well too. A lot of them do. A lot of them do. So you kind of learn like, well, 
he just kind of was winging it into, and then found a clue and then all of a sudden, boom, top 10. So I've really learned to like not be scared to, if I have a gut feeling or a thought of something that might've changed to just completely abandon what I thought I was going to be doing and go do something different. And it's paid off a lot of times. And, and a lot of the tournaments I had this year, that's how it was. I mean, it just kind of, going out with an open mind and not being scared to expand on what you know or deviate from what you think you know to figure out what you you need to uh to do well so making changes like that as an angler and being more open-minded i mean it's simple to say that but how did you end up doing that how did that end up becoming part of your life what did somebody did you see other people do, doing it or did you just realize that it wasn't working the other way or how does that process come together? Well, so like, I mean, I've fished tournaments since I was, I think 13 or whatever yeah. it is. Right. And, and there's a lot of lakes that I live close to now that I, I I've always done that. Or for the last like 10, 15 years where I've won tons of tournaments, I've always been able to do that on the local lakes because I know them so well. Like I yeah. know if they're not here, they're going to be here. And if they're not there, well, then they got to be there. I learned that on all these lakes. That's why we consistently beat people because we just would understand the lake better and learned it better. Well, in the lead series, a lot of these lakes I've never been on. So I don't have an in-depth knowledge of really any of the lakes at all because i just haven't fished them enough and they're so big but i've taken all that process of doing it back home and started to work it into how i practice and how i look at the water and just you know everything from mapping to just you know the time of year and it, all that stuff comes into play and it's and it's something that i think when it's really clicking you don't necessarily know why you think you should go do something but you just know you need to go do it. You know, like on, on Santee Cooper this year, which I, I didn't, I mean, I had an okay tournament, but it's just a lot of stuff going on and, and I kind of survived that one. But the last day I wasn't really catching them. And I'm like, God, I'm going to go, I bet they're out on this brush pile, pull on brush pile. And it's just loaded with giant ones. And like, I catch a seven pounder and there was like 20 of them there but I had ran out of time. I couldn't fish them anymore. And it's like, well, why didn't you do that? You know, two hours ago, I just, you know, I had made the right decision. I just didn't do it fast enough, but that is how all of a sudden I catch two more of those fish. I make the top 10. That's, that's how close yeah. it, that, that that's the decisions that you make where I made the right decision, but it was a little too late. So um, it's just stuff that, that stuff happens and you can't really describe why or how it's just from doing it for so long. Uh, it just, I wouldn't say comes natural, but you just kind of let it happen. Yeah. And the and it seems the more you're catching them, the better it's rolling, the easier it yeah. is to trust that obviously like an angler of the year season. And I, and I've talked about it a lot in this show where I've seen anglers win angler of the year and I've seen them have tough seasons, the same angler. And that same angler still got those same thoughts and those same decisions. It's just the, the angler of the year season. It is lightning fast. Like there's no doubt in a decision. It is like they're on that point or they're on that brush pile and you go mm -hmm. to it. You just don't. 
that weighing in process. So, so if you think about it that way, like, is it not just simple to, to just, okay, as soon as I think of something, I got to go do it. Or does that end up being a mess as well? It can be a mess, but that kind of goes back to how, you know, when I typically do well, it's, you know, I'm in an area of the lake where if I go, you know, and I'll like St. Lawrence river, certain places where you just, you know, you can make crazy long runs, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you can get in trouble with that. But like, say, say like lay Lake this year where I finished decent top 25 or maybe top 30 or whatever, but I had one area of the lake. So like, if I have thought something, and I went and tried it and it didn't work like, okay, well I can just run five minutes back here and keep grinding out what I'm doing. So th there is, I think a part of that where it has to be kind of a controlled, controlled magic show, I guess you could yeah. call it where it's like you, 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 you can think all those thoughts, but you also have to rein it in a little bit. Like, well, I think, I think I need to run 30 miles up to the dam and I got two hours left because there's people that do that. And yeah. sometimes that pays off, but a lot of times it doesn't, you know, if you got nothing else. So it's, it's really hard to explain how it works in my brain because I, I try to like, people ask me that all the time around here and I can't, I can't really explain it to even the guys I fish with, you know, a couple partners I fish with, they just start, they like, well, what, why do you, why do you think we should do that? I, say, I don't know. We should go do it though. And then you go do it. And a lot of times you get them. So it's hard to explain. I don't know. Hmm. So how how do you how do you fight? I mean, do you think like when you're competing, when you're when you're fishing, how many times did you think that that instance you talked about that brush pile and wanting to go there and then not going there until the very end and then being like, if I had another two hours to fish here, what a different tournament. How many times had you thought about that? Like I'm just trying to get an idea of in because in my head, dude, when I hear stuff like that. I don't know if my head's like everybody's head, but, but dude, in my head, a bajillion things fight like the whole time I'm talking to somebody, like just to give you night, like it's, I'm like, Oh, is that a cowboy hat? Wonder what that cowboy hat's from. Oh, I think <laughs> I know that trophy. I think I know where that's from. Oh, that's a Bassmaster trophy. Oh, what's on his shirt. He's got something coming. There's a tree on his, like my head. There's a bajillion ideas. Is your head like that when you're on the water? Um, No. Not that crazy, <laughs> not that okay. crazy, but it is like if, if I, if I, and once again, Lay Lake was a perfect example because like there was fish spawning, there was fish on brush piles, there was fish, you know, on a shad spawn, I was catching them on a wacky rig, just making long casts, like there was all of that going on, but I, I just kind of had a, okay, I'm going to go fish the shad spawn first and i'm only doing that for an hour that's it and then i'm running to my main area and then i'm gonna go fish the four main brush piles that i've been catching them on one time and then i'm gonna go throw my wacky rig and i'm gonna see where i'm sitting and then i'm gonna decide if i need to go fish the brush piles again because there was more fish there but i couldn't catch them or if i need to go you know run a new bank that they might have moved up to spawn on that that's kind of how it how it goes for me i mean it's but but I never one time thought like I'm gonna run all the way up the river and fish this random stretch that I had one bite on and I I never thought that you know it's just the main four or five things in my mind that I think are gonna play that's 
trying to manage those four or five thoughts. And if something really random pops in, sometimes they'll jump on it, but most time it's, it's, I think I have an understanding what's going on. I understand, you know, what's happening with all these different stages of fish. I know four or five areas that have fish and they have good fish. I just have to be there at the right time when they're biting and catch them. And, and in my defense, I will say this. I, I don't think that my, I think that fishing is actually one of those few things that it calms down all those ideas. You know what I mean? Like for me anyways, like when I'm on the water, like I, I still have a lot of ideas hitting my head, but it's not, it's focused on what, what's in front of you. So it sounds similar to what you're saying, but what about if you go into a tournament and there has to be some of these, have you gone into an elite series event and been like, I don't know how I'm going to catch a bass. Yeah. I, I've gone into several of them where I've thought like, well, St. Lawrence river this year. I mean, we only had two days of practice, which really, mm -hmm. you know, a day and a half. And like, I had found one area where there was some fish and it happened to be on the end of the lake, you know, it was 30 mile an hour winds or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm going to the lake. That's what I'm doing. I don't care if I get to fish for an hour I don't care if every graph gets ripped off the boat, you know, I'm going to go because I was in the classic and there was really no way I could fall out and I really didn't have anything to lose, but I didn't know if I could, I'd never, I mean, those waves were scary. I have never in my life ever fished in, I don't know how big they were, seven, eight foot. I don't know where you'd go down in them. You can't see anything but water. I never, ever fished in waves like that. And when I got down to the gap to turn to go out into the lake, Brian Schmidt was behind me and he turned around and I thought for a split second, I thought, just go back in the river and just try to catch what you catch. And I said, I'm like, no, you just ran 40 miles. You're going to go out there. And so I took another hour, hour and a half to go not very far out in the lake and then got out there in I've never thrown a three quarter ounce drop shot weight in my life. Thankfully I had some because you couldn't, you literally would drop your bait down and then it's eight feet off the bottom because the waves were so big, yeah. but I'm like, I'm just going to stay out here and fish. And I caught six of them, never lost one and two were giants. And I had 22 pounds that day. So it's like, I didn't know if I was going to be able to fish, let alone catch a fish in that stuff. And I didn't have anything really else to go to besides that area. So um, yeah, it happens a lot where you don't know if you're going to catch any or how you're going to catch them. So, um, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. So would, would, would you three years ago been able to do that? Or is that a change in you as an angler? No, I'd have been scared to go do that. You know, like uh, my rookie year on the St. You know, we took off out of Waddington, which is where yeah. we're going this year. And it was however long down to the lake and you had to stop and get gas and all that. And it's windy. And I, I never even, I went out and practiced there one day and for like half a day. And then I was just like, I'm not coming out here. And you think about the position I was in that, that year too. Like, I mean, I was out of the classic, like it would have made sense for me to take the risk to go, but I was scared. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do it. That's too far. And I don't, I've never gotten gas in a tournament before. I, you know, then you got to figure out, do you need to get it down the way down? I was, I was too scared. So, but now like next year, I'm not spending a second in the river. 
Oh, every day, every day of practice is going to be on the lake because that's what you got to do to win. That's what you got to do to win out there. Unless something, unless the wind blows so hard for three or four days that running as far as we're going to have to run, it's not, that. that's the only way. I don't want to fish in the river at all anymore. So I'm not scared of that kind of stuff. And if I break down or something happens and so be it, at least I'm trying to win now. I want to win now. I've done well a few times. I want to win now. So I want to do whatever I think it takes to win. So, and, and I, dude, I love hearing this. Cause I feel like, I feel like you are following the natural transition of somebody, you know what I mean? Like to me from the outside, it looks like your elite series career is going great. I mean, you're climbing the ladder of points every single year. You know what I mean? You And, and you're three years in and you're like, I want to win now that to me is you're heading in the right direction, but in a sport where we've already talked about, you won't call it a freaking career because you're not sure you're going to stick around. So obviously wanting to win is very, very important, but there's also wanting to survive. How do you decide which is which and when it's time to switch towards one or the other? So I I'm drew cook has been kind of like a mentor to me. I mean, we're friends, I think, but not, I, I mean, it's <laughs> like we hang out a little bit like tournament stuff, but, and he, he told me, cause I asked him that we were rooming at a writer's conference last year. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, how do you just like, if you, you know, just eliminate those bombs, you know, like my Sabine river, my 87th place finish, which he actually had a bad event too. And he's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to feel it coming and feel that it's going to be a bad tournament and adjust how you fish. So you can survive the event. Like, even if you don't make the cut, you know, if, a 55th is okay for, for AOI thing, but no, you get yeah. into the seventies and eighties. That's, that's what, that's what ruined my, that's why I fell out of the top 10. I mean, I will, I got an 87th or 83rd or whatever it was and dropped me down into the teens. Like he told me and that that was my rookie year. He's like, yeah, you just got to know in your gut when you have that feeling of this is one I got to survive somehow. So, and it helped, that helped me to, to know, like the, the Sabine was one of them where I knew like, oh, dang, I somehow got to get seven and a half pounds a day, which sounds ridiculous, but I thought that. And, and so I got into an area where I thought I could do it and it just didn't happen. So, um, and honestly, of all the tournaments that I fished on the elite series, I can honestly only say there's maybe like maybe three or four where I thought I could win, you know, I could win this tournament. Like it's hard to find that kind of fish where you think you can win for me anyways. So um, then it's just, all right, I found these fish. I'm going to go catch them. If they're big enough to make a top 10, so be it. If they're not, then I'm going to finish where I'm going to finish. That's, that's how my mind works. So of your best finishes, were those some of the ones that you thought you could win or, or were your best finishes? Not those ones. No, I thought I could win Seminole for sure. Okay. I really did. I really thought I could. When I found that spot a, a couple months before <clears throat> and seen where it was and what was going on. And I kept an eye on it all practice and went back and like, I went back the first morning of practice, nobody around and like threw a chatterbait in there and, 
and caught one and there was like a bunch with it. So I, and I just left. And this is kind of the demise of my tournament too. I left because I didn't want anybody to see me because okay. people, whether it's a local or another tournament guy. And it was, it wasn't something that like you would just like, you had to, you had to kind of stumble onto it or, I don't even know if it was, I don't know if it's a known area out there. I really don't know, but I was, I didn't see anybody. Steve Kennedy was really close to it one day, but he was, he wasn't on it. And so the downfall was that I didn't take the time to expand on it and like really, really, really understand what was going on. Cause I'm like, I'm going to do that in the tournament. I cannot be seen out there for more than 30 seconds because someone's going to go out there and look at it. So nobody else went there, but the first day I go there and go right to the spot and they're loaded up, but they were all small. They were all like, I had like 11 pounds, 12 pounds the first day. Well, instead of sliding 50, 75 yards to the left where there was the megawatt, I left and went and did my chatterbait thing. And then Ugh. the second day I roll in there, start catching them. They're good ones. I'm going to expand on it. Literally go like 20 yards. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're a dumbass. They're just everywhere. And they were so dumb and easy to catch. And I just caught so many three, three and a half, like good ones. Like where it had been tough to beat Joey because he was on, he was on a little bigger number of like high four to fives, but there's absolutely no reason why I couldn't have had 20, 20 plus that first day and gave it a, a good run at it because I mean, I was in like 75th place the first day and then climbed up to whatever 20th and then climbed up to ninth and then to fourth. Cause I just, because then I started to learn the area. So I, I feel like I could have won that one. I honestly feel like I could have won Chickamauga last year um and then santi that that first year um which once again drew was in an area where there was more big ones yeah. but i was in an area where there was a lot of big ones too and i had it to myself it just it kind of fell apart that last day and they stopped they like pulled out and they were weird so um other than that champlain this year i could have won i mean i was around all them guys you know, I was around them. They just had it a little bit more dialed in to them, a little bit bigger ones. So, um, but that's really about all I can think of in my mind. Yeah. It's hard to get on a pattern where you think you can win an elite series. Confidently, like in your mind, really, really think to yourself, like, man, I could win this thing. So if that happens once a year or twice a year, maybe that's pretty, pretty crazy. But um, hopefully one of these times it actually works out. You didn't investigate that spot more because you didn't want a pirate pulling in on you. No, how? I, how? I and I, I'm not asking for names or anything, but is that? Is that, a, you know, is that is that how often does that happen on the Elite Series? It, clearly a lot if you if you didn't want to be out there for, yeah. as you described it, not 30 seconds. I mean, it's not, it's not only the elite series level. It, I mean, I, it happens all the time around locally. Like yeah. there's a handful of people we fish against where it's like, we know, we laugh, we laugh. This last weekend we had, you know, we were second place the first day, big tournament. And 
fish and start on a bank and literally somebody pulls 75 yards in front of us on the bank. We're in second place, not far out of the lead fishing for 15 grand, which is a big tournament around here. And these guys are in like 70th place. It's like, what, why the hell are you here? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it happens all the time around here. So, and it happens on the opens, you know, and on the leads there, there's a few people where it's definitely like, you know, it's talked amongst the crowds that they are notorious for doing that. Now I've never personally had anybody do it to me. Um, but I wasn't gonna, I knew that spot was so, so special that, and I knew it was going to be hard for someone else to find unless they, if they seen me out there milling around for a long time, I mean, I have a hard time believing somebody else wouldn't have went and looked at it. I mean, yeah. maybe they wouldn't. Well, look, or do you think anything about the locals too? So like Kyle Jesse called me that second day and wanted to like me to go on the, what, you know, the Skype thing. And I'm like, well, let me, give me a little while so I could get half a mile away from the spot. Well, all of a sudden, sure as shit, the third day, here comes local Joey. Nobody around me all week. Nobody would, I mean, nobody around me. And then here comes a local guy, pulls in, starts jacking them, big ones, putting them in his box, keeping them. You know, he killed 10 of them each, whatever. Then day four comes rolling in again. So not only that, you know, you don't got to think about your competitors. You got to think about the locals too. And they're not scared to come in on you. That's for sure. How do you deal with that as an angler? Like, are you the kind of angler that gets into dispute or, or do you yes. just, <laughs> I'm not scared. I mean, around here, like I've gotten into it, you know, I'm not scared to tell, I mean, you don't, yeah, I, I get pretty fired up and back in my day, I was not scared to get physical. Um, now I have not, I've got to tone that down. I've toned that down, but <laughs> Um, if I don't think something is right, and it comes down to also like if someone's doing well in a tournament and then all of a sudden you, you, someone else shows up and they're not like, there's a lot of that stuff where I'm going to say, you know, that I don't think it's right. So with, with local people, you kind of got to be careful. I would never be scared now early in my elite series career i was i had uh, i had some problems with unindividual and i was kind of i didn't handle it how i would handle it now put it that way so um but with local people you got to be careful like i don't i don't like that like when people get mad that the locals are out fishing when we're there because it's a public lake and yeah. they got the weekend off or they took vacation or it's a 75 80 degree day when the fish might be spawned and they want to go fish too but when there's nobody around me for two days and then all of a sudden they put me on you know the skype thing and you know and then with the bass track and they freaking show right where you're at on live and then all of a sudden people start showing up it's like well that that i don't i don't like so the guy on uh Seminole. I talked with him. I was nice, but like, it's like, hey man, you know, doing okay in this tournament. 
you pulled right into where I'm catching them and they're literally sitting there catching them. <laughs> like maybe, maybe wait till the day after the tournament to, you know, get your fish for the community fish fry. So I'm not scared to say that, but I'm not going to be rude either. All right. You've, you've, you've become a, you're, you're better at dealing with it now. You said better. Yeah. I had in my youth, you know, I grew up a middle child and a hockey player. And like, I just naturally, like, if I don't think something's right or someone's being rude or somebody's doing stuff to me or my friends, like I, I've had some broken noses and black eyes, but I've given (laughs) my fair share to put it that way. So, So, and that's not a lot of people don't know that about me on the elite series because I've, there's situations where I think, okay, 15 years ago, you know what you would do, but now you can't do that. You no. can't do that. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, I mean, I, there are times I want to do that, but I won't do that. So, um, I'm 40 years old. I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> so, so you have got physical over a spot before though. Not necessarily past. fishing. Now I'm okay. not just talking fishing. I'm just talking life in general. Okay. I've never got into a physical fight in a, in a fishing situation. Um, been very close, been very close, but not never have done that. But other scenarios in life where, um, I have put it that way. Yeah. Whether it was on the ice or not on the ice. Gotcha. Gotcha. This, and again, I'm not looking for any names, but you said earlier, in your elite series career, you had some run-ins with a certain individual and you don't have those. I'm assuming you don't have those run-ins anymore. What has changed about that situation? I haven't had any, I think, I, I think with that one, it was kind of, he's fine, whatever <laughs> he's fine. But like, I know for a fact, if I would have done what he did to me, to him, if I'd have done it to him, oh boy, it'd have been bad. He would have went off. So that, and that's where, when I, that's kind of how I judge my, like, if I go fish that point where someone, like, would I want them to do that to me? How would I feel? That's kind of how I judge what I do. There's only one time in my career or whatever, we'll call it career because that's what people it's call it. It's a career. It's a career. Um, there's only one time where I thought I might've done the wrong thing. And that was, and it, I, and it bothers me to this day, bothers me to this day. It was on Chickamauga day one. And I was fishing up in the river mainly, but then I was running down the South and I had one stretch of bank. I wanted to throw a swim bait and I ran all the way down there. And it was kind of a weird scenario where the channel kind of swung up to the bank. And then there was a little flat out off the bank. So I wasn't fishing the bank. I was out off the bank. And Chad Morgan Taylor was up on the bank, kind of up above working the way that I was wanted to fish. And I'm like, well, maybe I should go talk to him. But I'm like, he's on the bank. I'm out here. You know, like I, I couldn't cast to the bank. And and then I pulled in and I was, you know, a hundred yards away from him, out off the and I caught one right away. And I was camping at the same campground. And he just kind of walked by me that day and looked kind of pissed, but I didn't have the balls to be like, I should have talked to him because I don't, I I'm just on the fence whether or not I did, 
did something wrong or not. He was not doing what I was doing. He was flipping a jig on the bank. I was out not doing that. But for all I know, maybe he was doing that and just went to the bank to flip a jig for two minutes. I don't know. That's the only time in the three years of fishing the elites where I thought me, I probably should have talked to him before I did that. So I just try not to put myself in that situation. And some of the elite guys are not scared to put themselves into that situation. So, um, but that's just, you know, when you're dealing with that much money and careers, yeah. and, and then some people that just ethics kind of go out the window. So, and I just don't want to be labeled as one of those guys. I don't, I, I just don't, I don't want to, my reputation and my mental, my mind, I, it's, it's worth more than winning or I don't want to be labeled as one of those people. So do do you think it's getting worse in that department? I mean, that seems to be kind of a pattern of things that you hear, you know, that yeah, the I think it is because, you know, with forward facing sonar, you know, like Champlain, for example, you know, we were, I was in, found the one area, there was kind of two parts in a big area where it kind of all went down. And I found, I started over there and there was a, the first day there was a decent amount of people, but not crazy. Well, then the second day, all of a sudden, all these people show up out of the woodwork that weren't there at all. And, and the problem, well, one of the downfalls with forward faces on, I was like, you see two guys out somewhere and out there it was all you know basin fish like not really structure related like they were all roman so you'd be like oh there's two people out there then all of a sudden boom they just pull people just pull right in on you and start scoping around because they know there's fish there where in the past without four fish sonar that didn't it, it would happen maybe if you sat on like a hump all day but when you're literally out in 40 feet of water and there's not, there's not, you're not casting at a rock or anything. You're literally chasing fish around. Well, they know that there's fish out there because there's two boats out there. Yeah. And they just drive right over, put the troll motor down and start scoping around. And then they got just as good a chance of catching them as you do. So that happened a lot in that tournament. So, um, some people aren't scared of that. I won't do that. Like I knew where like Koyu and them guys, Shakur, those guys were catching them in red wine. I practiced there. I spent two days in that area. I knew that there was fish over there, but I didn't fish there the first day. So I'm like, I'm not going over there. I just can't do it. I knew it was right where to go, but I didn't do it. But a lot of people did do it. And I don't want to be one of them guys. Yeah, it happens a lot. And and I think that there's just, I mean, at least in the past, you knew if somebody was trying to get onto an area, they didn't know because you're nowhere near the area. Like the area yeah. was a set thing, yes. a drop off, yes. a weed line, a whatever. And when you see somebody, you know, I don't care how close they are, but you're like, there's nothing out there where you're at. Well, now there doesn't need to be anything out there. You're just chasing fish. And if you get, I mean, I think a lot of the same thing happened at St. Clair too. It seemed oh, like yeah. yep. in, a, in a giant, I mean, it went from, I mean, anchor Bay was never a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, majority of the field would never fish anchor Bay. We've had some performances and some, you know, Bill Weidler did good in there, but like it went from day one, a big group to, majority of the field was fishing one spot in anchor bay uh, i was not one of those people like i 
heard through the grapevine it was going down in there, but I didn't go there. I didn't go there. And there's an example of if I didn't have a little bit of self-pride, I maybe I wouldn't have finished 63rd. I mean, I missed the cut by seven ounces. You know what I mean? But I wasn't going to go in there. I just wasn't going to do it. I can't, I'm not going to go to an area where I didn't, I did practice in there a little bit, but I didn't figure it out. If I'd have figured it out, I would have never left there, but I didn't. So I don't feel right about doing that. I just, I can't do it. It's not worth, if I, if I go to a spot and fish it or an area to fish it, I knew something about it. Like yeah. I didn't just go there because I heard that that's where it was going down or, you know, I was scrolling through social media and seen it, but I didn't look at it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of that crap happens too. So well, well, I just do don't want to be. What do you mean by scrolling through? Well, whatever. Social media. Like, it talk mean, to like, me about how you, we, because we can't look at any of that. Yeah, but you know? you've got to see something. Like, how do you navigate that? I've never, I don't think I've ever asked an angler this, but you're not allowed to look at social media to, I think the rule says to specifically gain advantage or knowledge or whatever. But you're yeah, allowed know, to go on social media. You, you, that's, you just shouldn't, but you gotta. Like, no, you're, everything is, I mean, I don't like social media for like, but we all, you, that's what we're supposed to do. Everybody, like, that's what, you know, fishing has become is how many followers you have and how many things you post and all this stuff like that. I don't, I mean, I care about it because I have to, and that's part of this job, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. But we're not supposed to go on there. Like you said, to gain knowledge of the tournament until you're out of the, after the term, you can do whatever you want after you're out of the tournament. But but so you go on there at night to make your post or do whatever. And then there's Brandon Polinick catching a fish on the nation page. You're not supposed to look at it to gain knowledge. So like, can you watch it? But then you might see he's throwing a black and blue Senko. Well, now can I not throw a black and blue Senko? There's just a lot of gray area where, you know, in your mind, you're not, gaining any knowledge but maybe you did gain some knowledge that'll change how you do something the next day so and, and there's a lot of talk about that people doing stuff like that and i just once again i'm not saying i've never been like oh that's a you know if someone catches a giant fish it's fun to watch that yeah but i'm not gonna be like oh well there's a birch tree in the background and there's two turtles on that log i'm gonna go look for that tomorrow that's that's not, that's not, I would never do that. But some it, people do that. <laughs> it honestly shocks me. Like I, I get the whole, like, I know where that area is. It just shocks me that anybody, that anybody, and it obviously it happens because I see yeah. it happen. I mean, the areas go from having half as many people one day to having twice. So clearly it happens. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I just, it amazes me that somebody who qualified for the elite series made the elite series is an elite series pro one of 104 on earth. And they have more faith in what they see in a, I don't even care what the clip shows in a two minute, five minute clip. Like it blows me away that that's what they're chasing, but 
is that a change with forward facing sonar? Do you think? Because people that, don't have to understand the spot totally. They just need to see a couple of goblins float across the screen. Yeah, that that's a big part of it for sure. Is it it does make it easier in some scenario. Not every tournament, but if it's you know most of these smallmouth tournaments, it it's easy to do that. Um, but it's just it it happens and and you get you get to that level and you start feeling pressures from all kinds of different angles of whether it's oh man i need to get make the cut so i you know got enough money to pay my deposit for the next tournament or you know i i got to do it because my sponsors are putting heat on me because i've only made one cut this year or if i don't make the cut i might i might get cut from the elites or i might miss out on the classic there's all this stuff that goes into your mind of you know, feeling all those pressures and that, and that changes how people, that makes, that makes people do things that are out of their character. Yeah. And it's just the nature of it. And, and, and guess what? It's not getting any better. It's, it, there's just more pressure coming and And, you know, I'm starting to see it a little bit as I've had a little bit of success where you start to get a few more eyes on you and like, you don't want, you know, you want to make the classic every year. You want to, I mean, I want to make the top 50 cut because I want to, I want 10 grand. I want to have some money at the end of the year. You know, I want to make a top 10. Like that's all things that you want to do when you're, you have to do, if you want to stick, stick in the elite series, you have to make cuts. So it makes people do weird things. You know, money makes people do weird things. Yeah, fame yeah. makes people do weird things. I mean, it's you know, a lot of the you know people are drawn to it because they want to make a name for themselves of being you know the best fisherman. And I got ten million followers, and look at my YouTube. And that's not why I'm there. You know, I'm not there for the money. I need to win money, but like. If I wanted, if money was my main concern, I'd have stayed doing what I was doing because I'd have, I'd have a hell of a lot more money for sure. But in a few more years, if I just stuck with that, I do it because I love to fish and I like the competition. And I like a lot of the, the guys that are in the, in the elite series. I like doing stuff like this. I've always wanted to do it. So I, I don't, I, I don't let that stuff that motivates people to do bad things get into my mind because I'm there for a lot for different reasons than most of them. But what is the ultimate reason? I've just always wanted to do it and I wanted to be happy, you know, and, and the older you get for me anyways, like money's not what makes you happy. All Yeah. It's awesome to have money. I like being able to go and do fun stuff, but at the end of the day, if you're miserable every day, then who, who cares? You know what I mean? And, and I'm not when I'm on the elite series, there's parts of it that are draining, but it's pretty damn cool to say that I finished in 19th place in angler of the year standings in the elite series against people I've been watching since I was a kid and to have Rick camping next to Rick Klein and have him come up to me on the St. Lawrence river and just drill me about smallmouth fishing. And what, what do you, what do you think? You know, just ask me about that stuff. And I'm like, this is this guy's freaking won more tournaments than than I've fished in, and he's asking me about what to do smallmouth fishing. Like that to me is just being in that, being in that conversation and 
that's that's what I did did it for. I mean, and I wanted to see if I could compete at that level. I've competed. I've done well at every other level I've ever fished. I mean, so I wanted to see if I could do it at the elites, and that's 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 the main reason I'm there. If I suddenly get incredibly rich, I mean, I'm not gonna like throw the money away but that's not why i'm doing it you know as long as i can you know keep my wife happy and keep keep the lights on and pay my bills and obviously i'm i mean i'm not i'm doing fine but it's not like i'm striving to become a bazillionaire by bass fishing because there's very few people that that do that yeah yeah well, I think if you if you continue to do what you're doing and and your goal is to be happy, I mean, you're right. There's the I, mean, I know a lot of I know a lot of broke people, but I, I know a lot of people who have made a lot of money, and I could say that it isn't like the people who made a lot of money are that much happier. You know what I mean? Like they, there's happiness, there's comfort, there's whatever that comes with it. But I mean, some of the most miserable people I know have the most amount of money because they have the most amount of stress and pressure and they have hundreds of employees and all sorts of stuff that you, I mean, that all comes with pressure. Um, but I think if, if your goal is just to test yourself against the best and to have conversations like you had with Rick Clun, which I totally agree with dude, like to me at the end of the year, I always look at the year and I'm like, well, what, what were the highlights? And it's almost never, something that people would think it's a, it's conversations like that. Like the fact that yeah, not awesome. only did you have that conversation, but Rick Clun came up to you and he's asking you th these questions, you know, it's, it's, I think every minute you can spend with Rick Clun in life is a gift. If you ask me, and yeah, he's an amazing, it's been pretty man. awesome to like the last two years at the St. Lawrence, we've camped right next to each other. So, you know, we've talked uh, quite a bit at that event and honestly, like, I'm usually one of the first ones to the ramp every morning. And so is he. So like, we'll be sitting there talking and be, you know, cause we'll be the first ones there. So, you know, he, he knows who I am now that put it that way. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat to say that. It feels like you're a lot more comfortable in your skin as an elite series pro. Am I reading that right? Like as far as just, Hey man, I, I deserve to be here. I'm part of this. Yeah. I mean, I think I've earned the respect of a lot of the guys in the elites, you know, where the, I think like the first year, you know, and I'm going to throw this name out there because I'm not scared because I've talked to him a lot this year. Like I thought Chris Seldane was, I did not, I didn't think he liked me. I thought he was super arrogant and just, that's what I thought the first couple of years. Well then now I just understand that he's just so freaking competitive in that that's like he's just so focused so like if you say hi to him and try to have a conversation if he's in that killer mindset that's what he's worried about well now this year it seems like like he talks i talked to him quite a bit and it's like good conversation where i'm like i think i earned his respect like i think the first couple years he's like well, i don't know about him he's probably going to be gone in a couple years but now i think he's like well he can he's maybe he's not a horrible fisherman and you know, decent guy. And so like I, people would always ask me and I'm like, I don't know. He just, he doesn't seem like he likes me. It's like, he thinks he's better than me or something. We're now a complete opposite feeling I have now to him. Like, I, I feel like I could walk up to him and be like, 
you know, Hey dude, what's going on? And he would want to talk to me. So it's, there's a lot of personalities in, in the elite series and, and, um, most of them are pretty damn cool, man. It's pretty cool. So do you, do you, do you honestly think Chris changed or do you think you, you changed or I think maybe, I don't know what happened. I, I don't think Chris changed. I just think I read into it too much and yeah. it's just wrong. Yeah. And so hopefully he doesn't like listen to this and be like, Oh, what a prick or whatever. Because I mean, that's just how I read them. Yeah. And, and now I told like this year, it's just like all of a sudden he's like, I feel like, like he respects me now as an angler. And like, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm a decent person. Like I'm not, you know, because I feel like he's one of those guys who, wouldn't he's not one of those guys that we talked about earlier who's gonna like pull it like all of a sudden show up to where you've been catching him like i'd never have got that feeling from him so i think that he's kind of sees sees me as someone who's not is gonna do the right thing and he just respects me that's what i think i could be completely wrong he might listen to this and be like that guy's a freaking idiot he's he's a turd or whatever i don't know but um, he, I, I just, I got a completely different feeling about him now than I did when I first started. Yeah. So. I, I always wonder about that just because I always think that like how people perceive things is so, you know, and my dad used to always say when I was a kid, if somebody feels something a certain way, then there's, there's a reason they feel that, you know, and maybe it's you, maybe it's them, maybe it's a combination of both. But like, I know Zaldane as hyper and crazy as he is like literally runs in and out of his truck to get baits and like you know and i just also wonder like was it a situation where like that dude just ran past didn't give me the time of day well because he's also running you know what i mean like i think a lot of things yeah. it's just funny you know the way people perceive things and and i i would um and hey, maybe Chris Aldane was a total jackass to you. I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I didn't think so. say that. It wasn't like he'd go out of his way to be mean to me. He was never mean to me. No. It was. I just got the vibe of like, you know, I don't think he gives a crap about me or what I think or you know, because like that's I always looked up to him. I thought he was great for the sport and yeah. like just you know did just did things different and. So like I was excited to fish against him and you know like hey that's cool and but then it was like well shit he doesn't even want to hardly say hi to me like what a dick and now like now I just feel different I just feel different hopefully he doesn't get like mad that I was thinking that but I'm not scared I'm sure to say what I was thinking I don't <laughs> think he will either but and but now I just understand that's how he is he was so he's competitive and motivated and like when he's in the zone, that's, that's understandable. Yeah. And I think people way underestimate too, with all you guys, how much everybody has good, like everybody has lives, everybody has things going on. Everybody has good things, bad things, and everything in between going on. But it, it's also like, and I always try to remind, especially newer staff at Bass, like the last few events of the year are always kind of tiptoe around anglers time because Listen, everybody has pressure. And and as I've explained it to people I work with, I'm like, could you imagine if you were about to walk? If I was about to walk in the stage and they said, okay, you better get 
this top 10 intro perfect you better not mispronounce anything mm -hmm. or you don't get you not you don't even get to come back next year you know get another shot like it is an immense amount of pressure that you guys fish under and and i think fishing in general right or wrong dude you guys gotta do so much different than that like if you're a baseball player, I mean, you have to make yourself available to the press for 15 minutes a day, whatever it is. And, you know, anybody can do whatever they want. But literally, while you guys are competing, like, you are you know, when you're telling the story about Kyle Jesse's reaching out to you to try and put you on Skype and he's doing his job. And, and but you're trying to say, well, give me a little time to move away. Like the fact that you even have to think about that makes it so different than any other sport. Like. There's baseball purists that get pissed when they talk to the manager in the dugout, like in between innings, and you get his his feelings. You guys have to give a lot, I feel, as far as as far as a competitive sport, but I think that's just where we are. Um and, and I think when you're in a situation like that, like do you when you had to manage that situation with I want to kind of save this spot, like how often is that a thing where you're you want live, you want exposure, but you kind of don't want exposure at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of what you got to think about. In that situation where I kind of knew what I had, I was like, yeah, you, you better wait. Give me a little bit of time. You know, sometimes it's not a big deal. Like, and I honestly haven't, I mean, I've been on it a few times, but it's not like I'm one of the guys they call every tournament, you know, so um there's scenarios where i think it's important to protect it and then sometimes like say i'm like uh you know saint or saint Clair when you're out drift around in the middle of nowhere like then who cares they can't tell anyways you know <laughs> but on seminole they could tell where i was where i was at so uh that's part of it you know that live coverage is cool that's it changed the sport it, it brought a lot of new eyes to it and i think it's i love seeing like when i watch it whether it's bass or other stuff, like that's the cool, that's what you want to see. Like, I want to see what he's doing. I want to hear what he's thinking, you know, and that's a big part of it. So anytime you get asked, you, you better do it because it's good for you. Good for your sponsors. And, and it's, and people learn from that. So um, you got to do it every time, but sometimes you just have to be a little bit calculated about when you let it happen. Do you think that's all part of the learning process of being a lead series pro? I mean, if you look at how you've changed over the last three years, I would imagine that year one, you, you would have just said, come on. Yes. And like bass track is one of those things, right? I'd always be like, well, why are these guys putting in, they have eight pounds when they have 20 pounds. And like, why would they do that? Like Mosley always did. Walters always did it. And it's like, well, it's because they don't want people to know that they're catching the crap out of them. And then they call them and they're, they're sitting with the yellow boathouse in the background. And then people, oh, and it's like, okay, now I understand that. Why, why they do that. And I don't want them showing exactly on the freaking map with a damn dot exactly where I'm sitting catching these fish. So I now I'm like, I don't care about bass track. Like I put them in sometimes, but I'm not trying to win the contingency money. I did win it one time on Pickwick, but, but that's all stuff. I didn't understand that when I first got there, where now I know the strategy of that and why most, a lot of guys are not accurate on that. 
Well, I mean, as the tournament MC, I'm all for you guys not being accurate on Bass Track because uh, the more of the story we reveal, the tougher it makes my job. But um, so that that comes up a lot on this show, the 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 showing of the spots, and and I, it amazes me with like it seems like at the end of the season every year, and obviously this year it's forward facing sonar is the big topic that oh my god everybody yes, wants is. to argue about. But it amazes me that at no time did the anglers ever get together and be like, yeah, we don't want our spots totally given away. <laughs> like, the, you know what I mean? Because I mean, I imagine it does hurt your job. It does. But you know, the bottom line is it's, if Bass thinks it's better for viewership or whatever, or make more money, that's, that's it. You know, it doesn't, I mean, maybe it matters what we think a little bit, but I don't know if it matters what we think. It's, it's, that's just my feeling. That's what I think of certain scenarios that have come up. And it's just, it is what it is. I'm not going to be one to sit and complain about that kind of stuff a lot because I'm very fortunate to be doing it. And I don't want to, I just don't want to complain about it, but. I'm not scared to say what I think, but I'm not going to like drive it into the ground of like, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's just, it doesn't do me any good. It makes me look bad, but um, it is what it is. They're going to decide to do what they want to do. That's the bottom line. Well, I think they definitely listen to you guys. That's why there's votes on everything. I mean, we have a lot of votes. We um, do have a lot of votes, but most of the time them votes don't mean anything. The off day is a perfect think? example. Perfect example of off day. When they voted for the off day, it was like 84% of people wanted an off day. So we had it for that year. It was uh -huh. great. I love and it. Nobody wanted it. Well, no, all of a sudden this next year, at the end of the turn, at the end of the season last year, we had a meeting in lacrosse, right? And that came up. And like, what do you guys think about the off day? Well, 86% of the field voted that they wanted the off day, right? Like four people are like, we don't like it. And they happen to be people that are, have a lot bigger names than me, put it that way. Well, we don't like it. Well, right there at the meeting, oh, yeah, we're going to do away with the off days. There was never a vote for if we wanted them for the 2023, they just took it away. And that also comes down to the money side of it. Well, that costs an extra day more to have everybody there. And, at, you know, so I like an off day. The majority of people wanted an off day. A few people didn't. Magically, it's gone. So there's there's more. The, the votes don't, in my opinion, what I've seen, they might have them make us feel like we get to choose some things. But most time, I don't think it matters. Well, let me just say this about the off day. I think it's a bad example, number one, because I think that they're okay. And I'm not, there's no reason for me to care about an off day one way or another. I mean, it's literally up to you guys. Um, and that's always what I've kind of thought, you know, whatever the anglers want it to be, it should be. But I will know this. There is like 10% of people that really want an off day, I think. And there's 10% of people that really don't want an off day. And then I think there's 80% of people that all depends who they're standing beside. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I've had the same anglers tell me that there must be an off day. And then that same angler another year tell me that the off day is the worst thing ever. And it cost them this much extra money. So yeah, I, don't, I don't know. All I know is the numbers that I seen when they revealed yeah. the vote. 
<clears throat> that's all I know. And the people that I have talked to myself now, obviously like it didn't like, you know, I'm, I wasn't like, I'm hanging it up because they took the off day away. I don't really care. I like it, but I'm still going to fish if there's not an, it's not going to change like my feelings on, you know, bass or whatever. Like it's just, yeah, that was just an example. Yeah. I ha- I know what the numbers were because I freaking saw them and it didn't matter. So there was some other underlying reasons why the off day went away. And it wasn't because 10% or four, I think it was 14, whatever it was, it was a very low percentage did not want an off day. So whether or not, like you said, there was somebody was in their ear the whole time saying, we need an off day. I don't know about that. I just know what I, I saw. Yeah, I, I don't, and I'm like I said, I don't have a dog in the fight. I do not. That's a horrible term you shouldn't use, I guess. No. Um, <laughs> on the of all the mark, put mark that under things that people probably get in trouble for, and I might at some point, but I do not have a team or a side. Um, I just speak from what I hear from anglers because some of them love it, some of them hate it. I don't, I, and here's my honest feeling on votes in general. Votes suck because a vote is a good way to make half the room feel like they lost. And you know what I mean? Because whatever you're, we'll stay on the off day, but you're voting on the off day. So if you really wanted the off day like you did, you feel like you lost that. Your voice wasn't heard. That's how every vote turns out for somebody. You know what I mean? For a percentage yeah, of them. Usually in- the vote, usually the people who feel like that are in the lower percentage. Like usually how votes work is if seven people vote out of, if there's 10 people and seven people vote for it, usually the seven people, the majority will win the vote. That example, the majority didn't win the vote. So in that example, 76 or whatever it was, 75% of the people didn't get what they wanted versus the 25% got what they wanted. That's what bothered me about that. Even if it was 50, 50, or it was an astronomically high percentage of people who wanted it. That That's, that's all I'm trying to say. And whatever I had my best year ever with no off day. So maybe I, maybe I don't want an off day now, but that's just an example. That was just an example. Yeah, no, no, I got you. So I, I don't you. want people to think that like I'm bitching about it because I'm not. That's just a fact. Well, you be you kind of are. It's okay to bitch about. Well, but things. it's a fact. It's just that is what it is. It'd be different if I was if it wasn't factual information. Like I know what it was, so it's true. So maybe I'm bitching about it, but I don't feel like I am because it's facts. You know no, you're I mean? you're 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 bitching about it, but you're not like bitching about it like pounding your head and you're like this is what i feel happened um yeah now no, that being this said, is what i know they happened. didn't vote yeah but they didn't vote that year like you, so you're taking the vote numbers from the year before to that i and i again i don't to me maybe they I had a secret vote of the people they like and they're like you hey, think they do that you think vote. they have a group of maybe? people they like oh i know they do i know they do and a lot of the people that they like are you know they've earned it those people have earned earned it I mean, I'm not there yet. I gotta do something. I gotta do something to get some know, notability. Pat. I feel I feel like everybody doesn't feel like they're there. Like I feel like some of the people, like if you wrote down a piece of paper, 
the people you think they listen to. I bet you I've sat, sat and talked to those people and they're like, they don't listen to me. They they do not listen to it. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. Um, it is. It, it's, uh, but I do know one thing. If you have an angler meeting at the end of the season, there is going to be somebody bitching about something like that. that really? That's yeah. a bad time to have an angler meeting, in my opinion, because it's the end of the year. I mean, it, it's a, it's a tough time, you know, Maybe you didn't make the classic. Maybe you did. You know, there's a lot of people with a lot of things going on. So on the big topic of debate at the end of this season, obviously forward facing sonar, where do you fall on that? I think we should be able to run 50 of them if we want. I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm just so, it's so frustrating to hear people complaining about it where it's like, and there's, I think a lot about this because I'm someone like, I'm not a technological person. Like yeah. Every time I come on this podcast, I'm worried that something happened to my computer and it's not going to work. Like I cross my fingers when I turn it on. Right. That's how I am with technology. Other I can than vouch. Before we started pressing record, the screen went out on him and you would have thought a deer jumped in front of his car. Yeah. He was like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel. If my wife is not home to like, walk me through any meltdowns that may have occurred i'm in trouble so i was nervous today but you put me in front of like a locate fishing locator then i'm then i'm like you know i can do that because i sold them for a long like i've always been the guy where if there was a new technology in it i wanted to have it first and i yeah. had the luxury of that when i worked for shields like i would buy i would get them whether it was side imaging or down imaging or gps lake master mapping like i always had all that stuff and with every one of those technologies especially especially side imaging the same bitching was going on the same bitching oh this is cheating and all there's all kinds of rumors flying around about us because we like won all, everything back when that first came out because i was one of the first ones that had it me and the guy that i fished with and we like dial it in right away. We weren't one of those guys who just put it on the boat to look like you were cool and had the newest locator. We knew what we were doing with it. So then there's all these people talking, complaining about it or whatever. And, and then it kind of went away because guess what? Side imaging is the standard now, you know, out of the 80% of the locators I sell at Shields have side, Im side imaging or down imaging where in the past it was like, there was like three that had it. Yeah. So, that's the standard. And guess what? Nobody talks about it anymore. Now it's forward facing sonar. And a lot of the people that are complaining about it are the same ones that were complaining about side imaging and they're just scared to learn it or don't want to learn it. Or the biggest thing is it doesn't fit their style of fishing, what they prefer to do. So me, I love to do it. I love to live scope. Love it. Very comfortable with it constantly learning new stuff on it before we went north this year i spent a lot of time learning new things and it paid off big time i didn't sit back and bitch about it and say i just want to flip my jig on the bank or throw my popper i didn't do that i love to throw it flip a jig and throw a frog and do out throw a chatterbait but you can't do that all the time on the elite series and be successful you just you can't do it so i knew before i got to lead like i gotta learn how to do this stuff and the faster I learn how to do it, the better I'm going to be and the more I'm going to beat all these guys. 
Because these guys that are bitching about it, guess what? You're going to have to learn how to do it. And if it takes you two, three, four years of us beating you, then so be it. At the end of the day, you're still going to need to know it. It ain't going away. They're not going to take it away. That'd be, I'd be, I shouldn't say it. They might, but I'd be shocked if they did. Be shocked. So I think, you know what, guys? Time to sack up and learn, you know, get off the bank, learn how to do it. You got you to. Gotta. So, um, why do you, why do you think it became such a big thing at the end of this season? Was it just a perfect storm, a smallmouth events, or was it the whole season? Because if you look at the angler of the year standings, they were very different for some anglers. It, yeah, it was, but you know, you didn't hear those guys complaining when some of the guys that you know are known, like Koyu, when he got ninetieth on Okeechobee and whatever. You know, you didn't hear him complaining then. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. You do that. But as soon as they start getting throttled, then all of a sudden, well, he should only—he's got five of them on his boat, and that's his niche, that's his deal. And instead of get like me, instead of getting mad about it, it motivates me. Like I got all kinds. Of, once I learned about what's going on with him, like I got all this stuff going on in my mind. I like I'm going to have a whole different setup this year because I want to learn how to do that. I want to be better at it. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. And I think if you find that niche and exploit it, he frick that's how you freaking win and make five top tens your rookie year or whatever it was. Like five, yeah. That should be motivating, not like, well, Jiminy Crickets. I I threw my frog every tournament and I finished in 80th place in AOI. Well, that's your damn fault. It is. Or if you're going to handicap yourself by not being able to run certain brands of technology because of some contract you signed, that's your fault. That's your fault. If you got free locators because you ran a certain brand and you can't run the best, then so be it. I mean, there's a reason a lot of them guys, a lot of guys are not doing that anymore because not every brand has something they're really good at. Yeah, that's why I run multiple brands. That's why most of the people that are known for, you know, being good with electronics don't run one brand. You can't anymore. You can't anymore to be the absolute best. I mean, you can still be really good. Don't get me wrong, but you can't be the best you could be. I mean, there's some people that I think about right now where if they had the best, it would be freaking scary what they could do. But they're handicapping themselves. That's just that's the truth. That's the truth. I think you're a good person to ask this to because, I mean, you are very much a working class man. I mean, you left your job at Shields to chase this dream, and we talked about it a lot the last time we did a podcast together. But what do you say to the people that say that prices people out of the game? There's no no way to make it. Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked that because that is my biggest pet peeve. Um, because once again, going back to working at Shields, you know, I was in college working part-time and I, I could buy it. I afforded it. I could afford it, but I worked. I didn't go out drinking every night. I didn't smoke two packs of ciggies a day. I didn't have six kids running around with six different women. I made responsible decisions to where I could I could save up for six seven months and buy buy a you know a hummingbird you know I think it was a hummingbird seven ninety seven was my first one side imaging unit it was a thousand bucks eleven hundred bucks 
and I bought one in college, but I, I had to save up for it. I had to plan for it. So the majority of people can afford it if they make some decisions or sacrifices on something else in their life. But as Americans, the American way, that's not how their mind, most people's minds work. They would rather bitch about it and keep, you know, ripping their marbreds and drinking their old mill light and complaining why they don't have any money. It's just frustrating. That's not every person. That's not every person, but that's how a lot of the people that I heard complaining about me as a 19 or 20 year old having, you know, a, a bass boat that I bought a 1998 champion 203 that I bought with a 998 and a 797, like, you know, good stuff back then, still good stuff. But I didn't do a lot of the other things these people were doing. And I worked. I've always worked hard to be able to do that. So it is expensive, but if you put your mind to it and stay motivated, you could you could buy one too. A anybody could. And you don't need a 16-inch screen in the newest transducer. You can get by pretty dang good with the old technology. So I, I it just it just frustrates me to hear hear people say it. no yeah you might not be able to have five live units like koyu does but you could get started with one and learn it and catch a lot more fish so change some lifestyles that you have and make some different decisions and most likely you can afford it now there are yeah maybe some people can't but the majority of people that are bitching about it probably could if they changed a few things and that being said long before that graph or any graph or side imaging. I mean, bass boats price people out, you know, yeah, nothing's hey. priced people out more to the sport than the price of gas has priced yes. people out of the sport. Um, and, you know, like you said about not everybody can afford five graphs like QAM has, but that being said, not everybody has to overcome the same things that he has to overcome too. I mean, you, most likely you grew up around, you know, a lot of these lakes that we fish or, or stuff that's a lot more similar than what he is overcome. Like when you realize what he has done and overcome, it is, it's incredible. And, and, and I would go as far as to say, I don't think Kyoya makes many more, many like take four of those units off. I don't, I he's don't gonna, think he's, he's, still, he's still going I, to oh, make. Oh, I hate that yeah. too. Like you take away all, like we should do it. You shouldn't have any graphs or any of this. And then we'll see who does good. Well, guess what? Patrick Walters is still going to be in the top 10. Jay Shakurt is still going to be in the top 10. A lot of these guys are still going to be in the top 10 because they know how to catch fish, whether it's in a foot of water or 50 foot of water. I just, it's all the same stuff that it happens at the local level all the way up. It's just people got a bitch about stuff. And, and it's, it's like Koyu, it frustrates me like him and Taku, like there's no reason they should be a better smallmouth fisherman than me. No reason. I fished them my whole life in the, some of the best waters in the world for smallmouth. There is no reason they should beat me in a smallmouth tournament. So it pisses me off, but all it does is motivate me because I'm going to beat them. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be at that level. I'm going to be at that level in the next, might take me three or four years, but I'm going to be at that level. And I think if people looked at it that way, instead of complaining about it, 
then you'd be shocked how much better they become. You know, instead of trying to stay with what they like to do and what they've done for the last 15, 20 years, you know, realizing I need to learn how to do that, they'd be a lot better. Be a lot better off in the standings and they'd just be a better fisherman. They'd understand fish a lot more movements a lot i mean we've i've learned so much with having forward facing sonar that i thought i knew where i'm like you were really freaking so wrong, wrong. <laughs> so wrong about it and it's i don't know i just i hope nothing changes and i hope i hope it just keeps expanding and getting better and cooler and more stuff i can buy and i buy all my stuff that's another thing too it's be like well yeah you've got five 12 inch graphs and they give them to you like i've never got a free graph in my life or a free live scope free trauma i buy all of it i buy my boats i buy my truck <laughs> it's it's i mean i spend a lot of money on it but i want to get better so i'm yeah. gonna do it well and i can guarantee you some of the starchest opponents to i mean just the venom and the anger that people throw out in the world with that if you spent that same amount of time and that same amount, just like, I don't care what you, I mean, you, you figure it out. You know what I mean? Like it in, in name a job and it, dude, I've said this on this podcast a hundred times, probably I am so all over the place. If I talk to somebody who is like, or I mean, I'm not totally against it at all. But but I do jump all over the place where I'm like, there's certain things where I'm like, that's not, I don't I don't like that it's doing that to the sport. But I but I also will say this. Pro anglers are no different than any other job, any other sport. Name a sport, name a job that you were able to sign up for and do for your entire life and not change. There's not a lot of them. You know what I mean? Like in the basketball world alone, like it doesn't have to be technology. I mean, you look at how much the NBA has changed over the last decade, you know, with the three point games and, you know, it totally changed this, the sport because people started playing it a different way. And I'm sure there was people and there is people who, 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 who think that that shouldn't be, that's not basketball. That's not, you know, basketball was founded on slam dunks and, you know, being in the paint and all that. Well, it changes and, and fishing's no different. It's constantly continued to change. And uh, I don't think that'll ever change. No, everything's like that. And, and, you know, with, with fishing, I think too, you look at you, like at the top level at the elite series, I mean, there's only a hundred of us in the world. And then however many are on the other side that are, what I would call, you know, pros, pros that are true, like not just I paid my money to fish this tournament. I mean, yeah, that's a pro, but not like, like I qualified to get to the top level. So we're going to have, have more technology and more, just more stuff than the guy fishing at the local tournament level, because it's our freaking job. It's what we do. Like we have to invest in, that we have to have that stuff to be relevant and stay competitive. So it's, it's just part of the game. Like you said, it's evolving. It's evolving. It's going to continue to evolve. Like a lot of people don't know how Koyu has this stuff set up. 
Like it, not many people talk about it and I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want people to know, but what he's doing, I guarantee I, I, I put a good amount of money on it that in like less than five years, what he's doing is going to be the new standard on the back of the boat. I can almost guarantee you it's, I know it's going to happen. Oh yeah. It's going to uh, happen. I'd say and less then, than, less than even that. Like I would say, if that's there, what I'd unless say there's a rule that somebody says you can only use this many or. Yeah. And that's the only thing I'm worried about is if, if they, I could see them limiting limiting in that which whatever once again if they do they do i'm not gonna bitch about it i just hope they decide soon because i'm about to spend a bunch of more money on stuff so i need to know pretty quick but um it's cool i mean just to even think about that and to set that up it's like next level like no, i never crossed my mind to do that and it's like oh dang you idiot why didn't you have that on St. Clair? Why didn't you have that on St. Lawrence and Champlain? And that's why they're so, that's why it's so much better. Efficiency, efficiency. Yeah. You watch him cast. Like if you haven't fished for a fish and sonar a lot, like just because you see a fish doesn't mean you're going to catch it. Like you no. got to freaking land the bait precisely in most scenarios. Which way is it swimming? How fast is it swimming? You know, where are you land? And he never misses. Like if he, you, he's just like, you got them it's so impressive and like i want to do that i want to do that and i've gotten a lot better i've, I've won a lot of tournaments this year doing fishing that way so i'm getting better but um i've never felt any sense of negativity towards towards that and i don't know that little rant i just had i guess explains why <laughs> well i mean I, what i took from it is bitch less and work more you work know, more. It, everybody it be, wants to get everybody wants the prize, but very few people want to work for the prize. And it's every level of bass fishing, especially, especially with some college and high school. Like everybody wants to get there, but they don't want they want to take the shortest path possible, the easiest path path possible, cut as many corners as possible work in as many gray areas as possible because just to get there. So I don't know. It's a scary subject, I guess. Maybe we should have a vote on it. Yeah, we should have a vote. Yeah. And see how that goes. I think they did have a vote. They did have a vote on it. Uh, I don't know. Did they actually have a vote on it? Uh, like some sort of it. Yes. I don't know to the extent of it but i know i know what i had to put my input on i guess and i think it's i think you start limiting technology that's just like a slippery slope like where then who gets to draw the line well like, and especially when you think about what your limit like the what you said 10 minutes ago how many things you thought were fact you literally until forward facing sonar, we all thought they were fact. You know, they live here and this is what they do. And watch Champlain and it'll teach you that it, they're not doing exactly what you think they were doing. Mm -hmm. And if you were to like shut it off now, it's literally putting your head in the sand like an ostrich. Like, you know what I mean? I so don't now know you're, what you're going to go do. back to like educating people. Well, we know that there's other technology that can tell us that this is different, but you know what I mean? Like, you can't. I yeah, don't know. And then it's like, well, so then, well, what, what about 
can we not have Lake Master maps then? Can we not have 360? Can we not have a four-stroke engine? Like, wh where do you draw the line on technology and who decides that? Like, why can't we just do what we can do, what we think is best for our, what you know, our style of fishing or whatever? Why can't we just do that? I, I You know, are we all going to just all of a sudden have the exact same bolt with everything on it the same. So then it's an even playing field. I don't, I don't know. I mean, where, who decides that? Where do you draw the line? And it comes down to every, everything, everything in the sport. I mean, there's so many advancements that have happened over the years that you don't even think about how big of an advantage it was, you know, 10 years ago. And now no. it's just a standard thing. That's like 360. That was so controversial around when that came out. It was like, oh my God, you can see all the way around the boat and blah, blah, blah. Now you don't ever hear a word about that. It's still awesome. It's a, one of the best tools out there. I, I would, I have it on my boat every year. I always will, but you don't hear about it. Now all of a sudden that's, that's not really much of an advancement. That's, that's okay. But this forward facing sonar, that's bad. We kill that. All the bass are going to die because of it. You know, it's just dumb. It, and if you ask me as an angler, some of the stuff that has come along that makes the biggest effect in fishing, you know, in 360 is huge, obviously forward facing sonar is huge, but like it blows me away that nothing ever became a thing of spot lock to me as no, an angler. When I heard about spot lock, everybody was all excited. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you spent your whole life learning how to actually hold on a spot and now somebody can just press a button. Like to me, that that that's insane. Like you're a machine's taking you to that. Like even when you see the forward facing sonar, you got to cast, like you said, seeing it doesn't allow you to catch it. So that Lake master, those maps, like the fact that you can go on any body of water and really like, just get your way around with ease. And it, there's so many of those things that nobody says anything about, but this has become a big deal a big deal yeah yeah i'm curious to see what happens and what what comes of it um i i don't know i just and it's frustrating too to like sit there and now we're fighting amongst ourselves where we should be talking about other things like let's get let's figure out some other things besides complaining or fighting with each other about yeah. something that but that's human nature whatever that's just human nature yeah but you know there's uh i mean i said at the beginning of a podcast a few weeks ago and i honestly feel it like what there's so many other things that we should be banding like fishing community doesn't need to pull apart over no. this crap whether you like it or dislike it listen there's some people who think i'm not a sporting angler because I don't tie a fly and I don't do you, but dude, I don't, I get along with, if I see a fly angler, I'm not like, Oh, that guy doesn't know what he said. That's how he chooses to enjoy the sport. I mean, there's people who think bass are stupid. Like, why would you fish for bass? I'm a trout angler, bat trout. I don't, I just, I think us fighting inside the sport is the equivalent of gun anglers fighting with bow or Gun hunters fighting with bow hunters. I mean, you're I was both just going to say that. Yeah, your weapon, your your weapon of choice is your weapon of choice. Your way of doing it is your way of doing it. The enemy is not another hunter. 
it is people who want to stop you from hunting and in fishing it is the exact same thing if you ask me but yeah i agree too and i think that like just as a you know young a kid or you know a young person looking at the sport and seeing all that it just it's a bad look and and like you said judging someone based on what they believe you know if you see it someone using a, a zebco 33 off the dock and well that's all they that's their this is this could be their first day fishing in their life and they're 40 years old and you know i'm guilty i would be like look at that guy but you don't know he's never fished he doesn't know how to tie a, a, a knot. He doesn't know how to rig a Texas rig. Like that's all stuff you take for granted when you've done it your whole life. But when these people getting into the sport, look at it and be like, Holy, all they're doing is fighting with each other about who, you know, what should, what's the right way to do it. Like, how does that make it look to them guys that are like, maybe will turn into a fisherman that will be a lifelong activity for them. And, it's just a bad look. I don't know. And yeah. there's just like you said, there's so many other things we should be worried about. Yeah, and you think of it this past year, you if you're a big company, and we've talked about this in the past, but you're a big company thinking about getting into the fishing world. The two biggest stories that you come across when you decide to research the competitive fishing world is how forward facing sonar is cheating and how walleye anglers shove weights in the mm -hmm. fishes. You know what? Um, yep. But again, just stupidity to me because uh, somebody will say something totally different. We've gone into this way too deep. Um, yes. I didn't expect us to even get into it that much. But um, so let's finish this with something positive. What? 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 Other than having a great setup on your graphs, what's the plan for twenty twenty four? I don't know. Just try to keep doing what I'm doing. I guess I like the schedule. This year's a little different. I don't know why, but for some reason I like when it came out, I got really excited about it. Um, where I was just like, wow, we're not going to Florida first. We're going to Texas. That's, that's just cool. That's different. Yeah. So I'm optimistic about that. I'm, uh, you know, made the classic again. So I'm going to go to, to, cutoff is january 1st i didn't think it was that early but so i've got to go down there for like four days and a few weeks to drive around so i've never been on grand lake um and then yeah just go work hard go pre-practice i'll probably i'm going to jamaica again for a little while you love jamaica that. yeah yeah i'm going there again and then come back in probably second week of january i'll go to toledo bend because i've never been there um and yeah, stay down there till the tournament starts, bop around on, you know, probably go over to Florida and fish a little bit and just try to try to keep doing what I've been doing and staying focused on fishing, working as much as I can for the people I've partnered with. I never feel like I do uh, enough for them because I, I don't have 10 million followers or a YouTube channel and all that, but just keep working with them, trying to help, help them any way I can. And, uh, yeah, spend as much time as I can with my my wife and pop and have hopefully another good year. Well, dude, I always enjoy our conversations because the one thing, I mean, and, and you know it, I always just say, be honest, be yourself. And you are always honest and always yourself. And uh, 
And I hope you're always part of the elite series because uh, I like having you around, dude. You're you're a great dude, and um, I wouldn't get hung up on all those followers. I'm I'm sure you're getting plenty. In time. I don't and get hung up on it. I you know I I want to be known as a as a fisherman, not a <laughs> I do not a social media influencer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I just. I, I want to concentrate on fishing and Paul, Brandon Polnick told me and Mark Menendez said, Polnick said, just put five fish in the boat every day and everything will fall into place. Just worry about that. And then yeah. I asked Menendez one day on Lake Fork, I was like, what do you think I need to be doing? To, and he said, just keep doing what you're doing. If you just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be just fine. So that's what I'm going to worry about doing, making classics, making cuts, try to make some top tens and maybe get lucky enough to win one. And then, uh, then I'll feel like I'm doing something. Nah, I feel you won't. I feel that's you, dude. I feel, I feel that even after you win one, you'll be like, yeah, no, I won one blue one, but I really need an angler of the year title. I feel like there's, but I feel like part of that's healthy. Like, I feel like that drive of, I'm not one of those guys. I got to keep working. Can't get complacent. Can't get no. complacent. Never. There's some people that are comfortable and and are feel like they don't need to, you know, go. Don't need to work as hard. But I, I'm never. I never get complacent. I mean, that's. I do. I still f- fish so hard to win these local tournaments. Like we got third this past weekend in the championship, and it kind of pisses me off. Like I wanted to win. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to get complacent. I'm not going to stop working. So hopefully it, hopefully it pans out. I'm pretty sure it will. Hard work is undefeated in the history of anything really. I mean, cause talent fades, technology changes and fades, you know, like, so if you're, if you're again, same thing with guys that are kicking butt on it, if, more technology is going to come and it's going to change for that person. If, if you live and die off one thing, but one thing that's undefeated is hard work. And uh, you definitely have that, but um, thanks for chatting. Yeah. Thanks for calling me. It was fun. I always look forward to coming on. It's been a while. So yeah. it's a good time. You're always welcome. Anytime you want to get stuff off your chest, you let me know. <laughs> you might be getting a lot of calls then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> The one and only Patch Lopper. Take it away, Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?